Well, it's Wednesday, September 5th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. You know, I find myself many times telling people that um, that in our in our adoption of our kids that that it doesn't it doesn't give us an opportunity to to tell the gospel because because our adoption in any way equates to God's adoption of us. Yes. But what it does is it 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 invariably opens a door for us to be able to talk about the greater sense of adoption and and to you know to talk about this this little you know, imperfect ref, little reflection that we, you know, that we're inhabiting, but, but to point to such a greater reality in, you know, in, in what God our father has done, you know, for us and, and, and where we are placed in, you know, into his family. And I, I think, um, you know, and, and it's an incredible gift. And I think, you know, that, that sort of leads me maybe to, to the next thing that I'd, I'd love to talk to you about for, a, you know, for a few minutes, one of the, one of the places that you, um, that, that you write and think extensively is is about taking that biblical worldview and applying it to you know to real life everyday life that's that's kind of what kingdom people is about your blog um is, is about those those opportunities for us to think deeply about the word of god but then to to think broadly about like how does it apply into you know into our lives um, you also wrote a book recently. Um, I think it's your most recent release, unless you've, he, Trevin is, a, is a, an incredibly prolific author. And so I'm never quite sure that there may be another book or two that's out there that I just haven't seen yet, because it seems like they come, um, you know, they come in, in, uh, you know, in, in, in droves, but, um, but a, a, a title that's a little bit daunting, maybe for the average person, but eschatological discipleship. Um, and and a couple of uh, you know two dollar theological words, but but that have really honestly a um, kind of a, a very simple meaning. And so I'd love for you just a second to talk about what what do you mean by eschatological discipleship first, and and then secondly, um, you know just kind of talk about how that how that sense of future um, and that that sense of 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 how that informs. Um, how we are, how are we are becoming disciples, and how we're intentionally making disciples of others, particularly our children. Yeah, uh, eschatological discipleship. I look at that book next to "This Is Our Time," and "This Is Our Time" is the one that's kind of the the, the easier, more accessible intro into what I'm I'm doing. And <laughs> eschatological discipleship is more of the okay, you want to go deeper? Let me take you deeper, kind of a thing. So, um, so I'd encourage people that are listening if you want to start with one or the other, start with "This Is Our Time," Excellent. and then see if you like that before you do. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf, right? Yeah. Well, just <laughs> even more interesting. Um, but but no, eschatological discipleship. Those are two words that don't get put together very often. Eschatology usually is the theological word for meeting the end times, you know, last things right. there in the back of the systematic theology textbooks. And what I'm doing with that is to say, no, eschatology, there's a broader sense of understanding eschatology as the idea of world history and where history is going. Mm. What's the future of our world? And in some, and in that broader sense, Every religion, even like a, even secularism, has an eschatology, meaning it has this idea of where the world is going, and that idea affects the way people think and behave. And work. so, whether or not people have ever articulated that or not, people have this that they work within this framework of assumptions 
that the world is going in a certain way. So for example, if you have an eschatology that thinks the world is going to become better and better, you're going to be increasingly disappointed when things are t- tend to not work out the way that, that you think. Or mm-hmm. if you have an eschatology when it comes to technology, that things are going to improve and improve and make our lives better and better, then you will also be disappointed because even though there may be improvements in technology, there also uh, are generally bad effects of almost every invention that, that happens or unintended consequences of things. And so, Uh, eschatology is tied to all sorts of different understandings of the world. The reason why I put it together with discipleship expanded um, to, well, to expand someone's vision of discipleship so that they're able to, to say, um, you know, the world you question of what time is it? Where do we fit in world history? Where do we fit according to what the Bible says is the future of our world? Um, that question is vital for discipleship and, and, is, and, and is very important for us to be asking so that when we're doing discipleship, we're not simply adopting a few spiritual habits. We're not simply becoming church kind of people, but we are also seeing ourselves in our current moment and with wisdom and with the Holy Spirit's guidance, asking the question, what does faithfulness look like in our time? Um, not, not at the level of just here are the commands of God, now do them. Um, we, we get that, you know, the Ten Commandments are do's and don'ts, basically, to say this is what God lays out for you. Um, those are, are not generally where we have our questions. What we need, though, is to have biblically formed minds and hearts. So in those areas where it's not exactly clear the best path forward or exactly how we should, we should live, that we will be uh, uh, grounded in Scripture, uh, um, having the, the Spirit's guidance, um, and, and, putting, and doing wise interpretation of our moment, of our current cultural moment. But we have to do this as missionaries when we go somewhere. And we fa- in fact, we say that. What does faithfulness look like, you know, in this particular culture, in this place, in this context? All I'm doing is I'm extending that out to say, okay, but also ask the question, what does faithfulness look like in this time, uh, in this generation? What, you know, God has called us to be, put us on the planet right now for this, this particular moment. Will we be faithful in this moment? If we're not thinking in terms of time, then um, we will uh, uh, be missing opportunities for the the light of Christ to shine shine through us as bright as it might. That's awesome, and I think you know there many times we see the error that happens that you know this is the this is the classic error with with Rob Bell, and we saw it you know as as far back as as books like Velvet Elvis and things like that where where there's a there's really a pull I think for us to look at culture and to and to try to to rethink or reinterpret God, <laughs> yes. to re- rethink or reinterpret theology. And, and what we have to hold ourselves accountable to is that, that we know that, that, you know, that God is unchanging, that he is, you know, he is eternally the same. Um, and that, and that his word stands as a, as a reliable guide that, that is authoritative and infallible and inerrant and, and doesn't change. But, but we live in ever changing circumstances that cause us to, you know, to need to, to reinterpret those things. And so I, I love that work. Um, and I, and I do, you know, I joke with you about it being, you know, a little bit daunting, but I think for us to think those big thoughts is, is really important, and and I think for those of us that are parents, um, you know, we realize that that building that skill into our children is 
is vitally important because if we think the world that we live in is difficult and complex, um, the world that we're, that we're launching our children into and, and in the world in which they will become adults will be, you know, infinitely more difficult and infin- infinitely more complex. Sure. And, and, and so having that, you know, that ability to do cultural exegesis and to, to dig in and to really understand the world, but to see it as the opportunity, you know, that, that God's created. And I think, you know, I, I, I sort of reflect back to, you know, Thessalonians. And, and here you have a, you know, here you have a group of people who were, you know, quitting work and um, staying home and, you know, waiting on Jesus to come back because they perceived that the world was, you know, was getting so bad around them and, and you know, and changing in a way that, well, you know, the Lord has to be coming back today, right? Um, and, and, and so to, you know, for us not to think of being those people who, who shrink back and become inactive in culture, but, but the question is how do we, you know, how do we engage and how do we become more active um, but, you know, but do it as people that, um, you know, that carry the light of the gospel and, and people that are, you know, citizens of another kingdom. Um, in, so you mentioned um, this is our time. And, and the, there's a story in, in the beginning of this is our time that you tell about, about your in-laws, about Corinna's parents, and um, just their coming to Christ and, and sort of their whole, you know, their whole story. And I, I, man, I love that story, and I love having, having heard you tell it personally um, a little bit, but, but, it's a, but it's an incredible illustration, I think, of of what we mean by this idea of really engaging culture and, and how the gospel, you know, can transform people within, you know, within culture or up against culture. And so I'd love for you just to, you know, share that and, and just talk a little bit about gospel faithfulness in, in, in what is illustrated in their story. Well, I've been challenged by, by that story many times. Um, my, my father-in-law grew up um, in Romania during the communist years, of course, and was a, you know, a, a member of the communist party, a rising member of the, you know, the communist elite back in the um, 60s and, and 70s. And uh, was during that time, there was a lot of social pressure that was put on Christians and uh, a lot of it, there was technically freedom of religion, but there was a lot of social ostracism and some persecution that took place. I mean, you may you know know the story like Richard Wormbrand, the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, and another. Those are Romanian stories of of just what things were like during that during that time period. Um, but at he he so basically, my father in law was um, sent to a uh, Baptist meeting, uh, kind of a revival meeting they were having, um, to take note of anyone making decisions uh, or anyone, you know, basically an informer slash spy. So it wasn't like James Bond, but it was like, you know, you had your, your, you had your informers and you had people that were supposed to be observing the proceedings. And the very first time he was in there, he, he heard and understood the gospel and trusted Christ and came, I mean, just I mean, complete, complete turnaround. My, my mother-in-law thought he was crazy. And um, he convinced her a couple nights later to go. And she went and she trusted Christ uh, at the, 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 the same week. And so, and they were a part of a group. I think it was like 100, 
50 something. I can't remember the name, the number it's in. This is our time. They, but they, they, of, of how many people were baptized at one time wow. in, in Romania. Wow. So uh, all dressed in white also, I mean, it was a, it was a, uh, something of a revival that broke out during that, during that time period. Uh, but what I guess to what, what was challenging, what's challenging to me is knowing that they're paying a social cost and willingly and welcoming that, um, mm. you know, obviously he was removed from the communist party and, um, face threats from time to time and, and had people that would uh, that were then informing on him, right? Keeping an eye on him. And, um, and so he, he wasn't one of these that was, you know, tortured for Christ and went through, you know, uh, uh, going to jail and things like that um, is more ordinary story of, of just faithfulness though, in a culture in which uh, it, it's not, it wasn't easy. Um, but he, he was, he was one that, um, that, 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 couldn't understand why people didn't understand just how good of a trade-off it was at the end mm. of the day. Like he, he thought, you know, why, none of this, the, the, the present kind of ostracism or things that he would face or uh, the challenges he would face in hosting people from the West and, and other places in their home. And uh, none of that he thought was, uh, could really be compared. Um, the, 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 the trials couldn't be compared to the glory. And, and that's, and that's really where uh, his, his life and his hope was. And so I guess I take that story and I'm challenged by that because I think in, in so many ways, it's easier for us to, to live according to Christianity. We're not facing that kind of um, social pressure, ostracism, you know, going to jail, things like that, those kinds of threats. But at the same time, I wonder where are those areas in which we may be unwittingly compromised with the world in ways we might not we might not recognize and and how 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 can we make sure that we're being faithful uh, to Jesus and that we are are living according to what the Bible says is true of the world and not what the world says is true of of our world and so those are the questions that 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 the conversion story of my in-laws raises for me and really is foundational as the framework for this is our time the book yeah, that's that's fantastic, and I, I just you know I love that sense of or, or out of their story of of just this you know really dramatic sense of of the transforming um, you know power of the gospel and how you know how the spirit of God has you know really reshaped them and and but but for a lifetime reshape their you know their choices and their decisions and and their their course of life and. And that it's not the story of, you know, necessarily something that's inaccessible and, and that, that is so different than, you know, than, than our stories. And I think that's the hope that, that we have for ourselves and the hope we have for our children is that, that, that we will be those people that will be, you know, ill at ease and ill at home in this world because, right. because we, we know that we're citizens of another kingdom and we, you know, we serve another king and, um, and, 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 you know, that that would be true of us. So Trevin, one, one last question for you today, obviously, um, you, you told earlier in your story about you and Corinna, um, that you met Corinna in Romania, that you married, that you, your first son was born there that you, so you guys are a, you're a transcultural family. Um, and, and I, I think that one of the, one of the things that for many of our, many of our listeners, um, we have a lot of transcultural families through adoption that listen to this podcast. Um, many of them who have adopted older children 
from um, you know from other countries and and out of other contexts where where there is a there's there's a, a cultural dissonance that goes on um, you know a little bit in in their home and and that is that is a you know kind of a constant um, extra factor in you know in their lives and 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 you guys have you know continue to negotiate that well and and are but but I'm sure you've learned a ton about um, you know, about bridging cultures, both of you, you know, through that process. And I just wonder anything that you would, you would say to folks that are either in the midst of that journey or, or maybe anticipating the journey of, of, you know, bringing children that are well-formed in another culture into their home and, and, and about how to, how to live across culture and how to, you know, how to meld culture together. Well, I, you know, the, the, this is a really challenging question because there's so many different applications depending on the cultures we're talking about. Um, but I, for, for me, I, I feel like I can speak more to being a, sort of a transcultural inter, intercultural marriage more than I could speak to um, uh, the kids question because uh, our kids uh, were, um, were, were born and really raised by, but by, by the time our, our son had memory was we, we were in the United States yeah. and with occasional trips to Romania uh, where they do recognize their different is they, they, they know they're half Romanian and my wife and I speak Romanian exclusively to each other generally. So in the home, we're always, I mean, different languages and that, and there's that, that part of, you know, they know they're, they their relationship with their Romanian relatives and having Romanian guests in our home or Romanian food. Um, and Karina and I listen to Romanian music quite a bit. And so there's, so there is that, that element of, of our life, but overall, I think uh, that's just, that's the only family they've known. And so that's kind of just how they've grown up. I, I think when it comes to, to marriage in the intercultural and some of this may apply also to, to kids, um, uh, the one thing that has made it easier for the two of us is that we both know our each other's languages really well. Mm. So she's as fluent in Roma- in English as I am in Romanian, and vice versa. And we and that really was the case from the time we started dating. Um, and so I, I language is is a big help. But even with a you know different couples and different groups that I've known where that you know they've they've had to kind of move toward one one language, um, generally English. Um, I, I I'd say there is a sense in which every marriage is an intercultural marriage because every, because it's the, it's the, it's the, the, the formation of a new family from two different families that have different cultures, regardless of whether or not they're on other sides of the world. Um, That does add the extra factor that you were talking about, but it may actually, in some ways you just know it's there more. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you're not as surprised when, when with a lot of marriages, I think people are shocked that, you know, so-and-so's dad did it this way and -and so-and-so's mom. So, um, so I, I think having those expectations and realizing, look, a lot of the assumptions you've grown up with are not assumptions that are um, necessarily held around the rest of the world or even in families across the, across the, the, the state, you know, across the neighborhood. Um, and so I, backing off a little bit on your assumptions being the, my way or the highway is, is one of the most important things that, that, that you can do. And I think that that level of flexibility is vital um, uh, in, in, in trying to, to, to really understand where, where someone's coming from. But, but I'd need you to, to point to, to better resources for, you know, how do you, you take a, 
you know, a child that's been well formed in a different culture and then the, the transplanting because, yeah. um, because I, I feel like more to the marriage is, is where the different cultural differences that we have show up. But I think you hit on the important point, and 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 the and the point is, I, I think many times we we tend to think that that when we bring children into a into the culture, we're that our job is about assimilating them to our culture, and and there's this sense that that one is better than the other, that we're trying to we're trying to lay one over the top of the other, and I think what you've what you've said about marriage. Um, holds true for for that that idea with children as well. That that what we have to understand is we're we're melding cultures, and neither one is is necessarily better or preferred over the other. They're just different. Yes. Um, and that what we're doing is is we're you know we're negotiating those differences, and and we want to find ways to you know to preserve and to celebrate and to. And, and to recognize culture, our job is not to, you know, to try to swing in one direction or the other. And so, you know, even the way that you've talked about that, you know, that within, you know, within your home, you're, you know, that you speak exclusively Romanian and that, you know, that there are these, there's these trappings and aspects. It's, there's, there, I just, I've loved talking with you over the years about the way that, the way that you two have brought culture together from, you know, from your backgrounds and the way that that's, that's knit together. And I think it's just such a beautiful picture of, of those things that we want to do with our children. But sometimes we, I think, approach it in a way of saying, no, our job is as parents is about, is about bringing them from one culture and, and helping them to become this culture. And, and that that's, you know, that's really, um, that really sometimes is a, is a source of difficulty and a source of strife in, you know, in adoptive families, particularly with older children that are coming from, you know, from other, um, other cultural contexts. So, no, that was, that was really helpful. Um, well, Trevin, our, our time is, is winding down. I, I want to say thank you to you for, uh, you know, for joining us. And uh, we are um, incredibly grateful for all of the ways that you, um, that you pour into our lives. I, I would say I'd be remiss if I didn't say to you personally, I'm, I benefit, um, you know, daily and weekly from the things that you're writing and are challenged by, uh, by the thoughts and, and the things that you're putting out there. And so, my friend, I thank you for that. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're out there and have enjoyed today's podcast, that a couple of places where you can catch up with Trevin on a regular basis at the Gospel Coalition, um, his his uh, blog, Kingdom People, is there, um, daily blog. And, and again, I recommend Trevin Seven highly as a, as a way to, to stay connected to deeper cultural thoughts. Also, uh, the Word Matters podcast that he does with Brandon Smith, uh, is, is they break down um, difficult passages in Scripture and, and sometimes things that we would think are problematic and, and really, you know, delve into those things and, and, and take the mystery um, out of or the difficulty out of difficult passages. And so I'm really thankful for, you know, for that as, as a resource um, to help to show us um, and, and just to hold up the value of God's Word. So, Trevin, thanks again for being with us. Well, thank you for having me on, Rick. I appreciate that. And this is this again is the Defender Podcast. It's uh, Defender Podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services. Um, we'd love to hear from you, and so you can find us at, at www.lifelinechild.org or on all the social media outlets um, under the the um, under the tag Lifeline Child. Uh, I'm Rick Morton, your host, and uh, I hope you'll have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.